Well, Dr. Carter, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so excited to be able to talk with you a little bit about this. And today what we've been doing is we've been talking about the power and the influence of our thought life. And specifically, one of the ideas that we've talked about is what it looks like to take our thoughts captive and to renew our minds so that we move in a healthy direction. And so my question for you is like, scientifically, what does that actually mean? And how does that happen in our brains? Right, yeah. So let me give you a little bit of a neuroscience lesson really quick, okay? Um, So the emotions that we experience are housed in our amygdala, which is in the back of the brain. And when we experience a triggering event in the environment, our amygdala lights up um, and it starts sending uh, messages to other parts of our brain for us to react in order to basically extinguish that emotion. So usually it starts, the chain reaction starts with an emotion and it ends with some type of behavior. Neuroplasticity, which is what you're alluding to, um, is the ability to be able to change how our brain reacts and respond to um, a, a triggering event. So for for decades, researchers thought that once we reached adulthood, our brain stopped developing, it stopped changing. And so in recent years, they've discovered that that's not the case. And even more exciting is that we have power and influence over how our brain works. So if we look at, a, at an example of someone maybe with social anxiety, so for them, the triggering event might be joining a small group. You know, that's going to trigger a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear. Um, they're going to be afraid of judgment. People are going to be, um, they're not going to like me, whatever the case is, right? And so the response to that might be avoidance. I'm not going to go to the small group because I'm afraid of what's going to happen. But when I don't go to the small group, my anxiety decreases, the amygdala stops reacting, and, um, and that's the end of it. So with neuroplasticity, we can um, make a change. And so we can change the neural pathway so that it goes to a different response. And we do that through engaging the prefrontal cortex, which is those, it's in the front of the brain. That's where we make decisions, we problem solve, um, we go through uh, executive functioning features, things like that. So when we, the same example, social anxiety comes into play, um, we want to join the small group. So instead of avoiding, which is our original reaction, instead we decide, um, I'm going to think through why I'm afraid. Right? I'm going to break down these fears. I'm going to come up with a plan so that my new reaction will be to go to small group, but um, maybe do some coping skills to manage my anxiety while I'm there. Okay, So in doing that, we've created a new pathway. Okay. We're no longer just avoiding going to small group. Now we're going to go, and we're going to have a plan to control the anxiety. And the more we repeat that pairing of you know the emotion with the new behavior, the stronger the connections get. So another idea that we're talking about is specifically shifting from like one pattern or direction of thinking to another. And then scripture, again, as we already said, talks about this as like renewing of your mind or thinking in a different way. But from your perspective, like what does the actual renewal process look like? And then what role do these patterns play in our lives? The idea of taking every thought captive or renewing your mind actually aligns very well with cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, And certainly there are other types of therapies that you can use, you know, to renew the mind. Um, But I I think this is a good example of how it could work. Um, So CBT, or cognitive behavioral therapy, the theory behind it is that our emotions are are basically determined by what we're thinking and what um, behaviors we're engaging in. And so since I can't directly change your emotion, I have to change how you think and how you behave in order to affect your emotion. So CBT, um, in that process, we literally, through therapeutic exercises, take the thought 
thoughts captive. So we evaluate um, the repetitive thoughts that we sometimes have, um, and we evaluate them for truth to determine if this is a true thought or if it's a distorted thought. And then we reframe or restructure that thought based on the new evidence that we've discovered. So for example, we might have a thought that um, I'm flawed or I'm damaged. Mm -hmm. And so that thought causes a lot of depression symptoms, right? And so we'll evaluate that thought, we'll take it captive, and we'll look at the evidence. Okay, how do we know that this thought is true, and how do we know that it's false? And for Christians, this is a great way to introduce scripture. So we can go to the Bible, we can look at the ways that we are made, um, you know, fearlessly and wonderfully made. We can look at scriptures that counter the negative thoughts that we're having and use that as evidence. And then we reframe the thought or restructure it so it's no longer... Um, I'm flawed or I'm damaged, but it's I was flawed, but now through Christ I'm made whole, right? So we've literally changed our thought patterns and our thought thinking. That's great. So I know, like, personally for me, I, I want to get better at this. This doesn't always come natural to me. I know thoughts kind of come in, and I'm, I'm very good at not evaluating those thoughts <laughs> at times, right? But I think for me, I would go, like, how do I make sure that I'm kind of creating more self-awareness and more self-regulation when it comes to the mind? And then how can I be more intentional about creating better pathways in that way? Right. So we've talked about therapy as being an option, and I think that's definitely applicable for people who um, have more of the clinical levels of anxiety or depression or things like that. Um, but in general, everybody can form new pathways, right? So doing things like um, self-care, you know, developing a routine of self-care. And in my opinion, any routine of self-care should include exercises for the mind, the body, and the spirit. Um, and so you might buy a journal and start, you know, tracking your thoughts and recording how you're feeling, um, what you're thinking about, especially if you've had a day or a week where you're really emotional. A lot of times we just kind of get to the weekend, we're like, oh, great, I don't have to think about that anymore, I'm good. Um, And we don't take the time to really reflect on what was happening. Um, So when we reflect on our emotions and we think about what triggers that, you know, we can start to ask our questions about, okay, how did I arrive at this outcome? Um, I was feeling anxious, and then all of a sudden, you know, I'm eating a pound of ice cream. You know, how does this happen, right? Um, That would not be me. (laughs) No, No, never, 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 never. But those are are exercises where you can choose, now that you understand the the connection between the emotion and the behavior, you can choose to do something differently, and that's going to form a new pathway. Um, Learning new activities also, you know, complex uh, activities like learning an instrument or learning a foreign language, those create new pathways. Anything, anytime we're learning something new, um, even Bible study, if we're doing Bible study and, and we're engaging critical thinking skills, those are forming new pathways. Um, and of course, eating healthy and exercising, those produce um, you know, happy hormones in our brains that actually counter some of the negative feelings that we're having. That's great. Dr. Carter, thank you so much for thank being you. with us. Thank you so much. Pretty interesting stuff, isn't it? Like this, the discoveries they're making in neuro brain science are remarkable because it's it's helping us figure out why we think the way we think and why we struggle with the things we struggle with. And it's almost like you, she talked about training your brain. And when you talk about training, how many of you have been through some sort or any kind of training in your life, right? So school, work, sports, everybody, because you've all gone to school. So you've all had some sort of training. And I've had that. I was a gymnast most of my life. I started as an eight-year-old. 
didn't stop till I was 18. And I don't know if you know very much about gymnastics training, but it is grueling. Like every night at the end of practice, we would do 500 sit-ups, we would do 200 push-ups. And so we hated the end of practice. And there was a girl on our team, her name was Cindy, and she was just one of those like super fun people. You always want to be around her because she's fun and she's funny and she's messing up and she's hilarious. But every time we get to the end of practice, somehow she would skip out on the sit-ups and the push-ups. She would just be off or in the bathroom or somewhere. Well, we have this gymnastics meet, and um, she's on the balance beam. And our whole team, several teams, are in this one room with two beams. It's really quiet on the balance beam because you don't want to disrupt anybody. So she gets on the beam, and we're all sitting again on the floor watching. The judges are over here, and she does this leap on the beam. And if, you, if you've ever watched gymnastics, you know your feet should never touch the what? Ground because you'll get deducted points. And so we do anything to keep from falling off the beam. Well, Cindy does this leap, and she starts losing her balance, and she's doing this on the balance beam. And, you know, it looks kind of funny, so we're snickering a little bit. But she doesn't want to fall. She's, keep, she's like doing anything to keep from falling. And so she ends up underneath the balance beam like this. She's holding on like this underneath the beam. And I have never seen anybody do this in practice where me. So she's down there and she's trying to get up without letting her feet touch. So she's like trying to shimmy her foot up. You guys, and then she lets the loudest fart you've ever heard in your life. And we are on the floor dying with laughter, like crying. You know, we're trying to keep it. And the judges very serious. We look over and they're like this. Their heads are down, but they're shaking. They're laughing so hard. It was the funniest thing. And she was so embarrassed. She got it back up on the beam. She finished. And we're like, it's okay. It happens to everybody. No, it doesn't. (laughs) But the saddest thing was to me is she ended up quitting, which was a bummer because it's like, we all fall off. We all make mistakes. But there was a part of me that thought, Oh, I wonder if she had trained more, you know, if she'd realized we do like we do the best we can, but we're all going to fall. And all of you, every single one in this room, we've all fallen, haven't we? We've all done things that like, oh, we messed up. But the question is, will you get back up and train? And I think God is saying, I want to show you a new path. I want to create this new path in your brain that you see yourself the way I see yourself. And sometimes that takes training because a lot has happened to us, to us, through us, that's been harmful and taken us to negative places that can cause depression or can cause anxiety or even just not loving how we see ourselves. So today I'm going to share my journey a little bit of what that's looked like because I feel like I've really been in bondage to some of the thoughts in my head in the past and I can still struggle with it. So I'm going to pray for us and we're going to get going. Father, thank you. Thank you that it's not an accident that we're sitting here today, that you have something for each of us, that you want to talk and speak to each of us. And Lord, I ask that today, that you would come and you would speak to every one of us in an individual kind of way. And Lord, thank you that you love us. I pray that you would use my words um, as, as broken as I am. But God, use my words to encourage people saying the things that you would say. We need you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.
So have you ever struggled with knowing a truth about God or about yourself? And you know it up here, but you struggle getting it down here to your heart of really believing it. That happened to me. I didn't grow up in the church. In fact, my family only went maybe twice a year on holidays. But I remember walking into church and I remember thinking, I wonder if God knows what I did last night. Or I wonder if like people here, don't you, have you ever done that? If you've never grown up, you wonder like, do they know? Do they know what I'm really like and what I did or whatever? Um, and so I really didn't know who God was. I thought he was a God that, that punished us or was angry at me. And when I was 16, my sister, I heard the gospel for the first time that God loved me, he gave his life for me, he wants a relationship with me, and I just need to give him my life and surrender my life to him. So I did that at 16, and I went on this journey where God started changing me. And I went to seminary for three years. I had all this training. I went to three summers, I spent three summers at the Institute of Biblical Training. I started doing Bible studies and leading Bible studies and teaching people about it. I started memorizing scripture. And I was like, yes, like, God, you're doing this. And I was realizing that it was up here. I was learning all these new and amazing things. But I was struggling with believing it about myself of what God said. I believed him. But when it came to that God loved me, God saw me, he has this great plan, I struggled with believing it, and I couldn't figure out why. Because here's what I would, have you ever thought this? I know that God loves me, but why can't I love myself? I know I'm a child of God, but why do I feel alone? I know I'm victorious in Christ, but why don't I have more self-control? I know the Bible says I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, but why do I still feel this sense of deep shame and even unsatisfied with who I am or how I look? And I know that God gives this peace, but why do I still worry so much? And I have so much fear and anxiety. I know I'm forgiven, but why do I still struggle with guilt? And, and I think that was my journey. And I was like, I am still so in bondage to all those lies, even though I know it here. Why aren't I experiencing freedom? And Romans 12, 1 and 2, when I read this for the first time, I was like, oh, this is my verse. And here's what it says. It's Paul, and he's talking to this church. He's writing this letter to these people in Rome, and he says this. So therefore, I urge you, brothers and sister, sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And I remember the first time I did that, I remember saying, God, I give you my life. I give you everything. And that's scary. That's a scary thing to do, but I was like, I'm in. And I'm thinking, I want you to use me, change me. And then it says this, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be, and they talked about it in the video, transformed. That word is actually a, a word like a metamorphosis that, that you don't, won't even just be like, oh, you're dusted off and now you look a little better. You are an entirely different person. It's like the word comes from the caterpillar to the butterfly. Like you were transformed. How? By the renewing of our mind. And I remember reading that like, ah, oh, am I renewing my mind? Do I have this new mind? And I remember getting stuck there like, I want that. How do you do it? How does transformation in our minds begin? 
So I'm going to kind of walk through my journey, and here's what I want you to start. Like, this is the premise, because we're going to look at mental health through the spiritual realm today. There's a lot of different ways to look at it, but we're going to go through what does the Bible say about this. First of all, here's one. God loves you. He loves you. He made you, and he has this amazing plan for your life. I think that's really important to get in our heads and to know And I remember the first time I read Psalm 139, like, this is amazing. And this is what it says about, this is what God says about us. Or we're we're talking to God. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. And every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. The first time I read that, I cried. Because one, it said so much about how God sees us. He made us. He loves us. He's with us. And I loved that. I just couldn't always feel it. And I feel like God's given me, like, freedom as I've gotten older. Not just because I'm old and you're like, oh, yeah, the people that are old, they don't care what anybody thinks. But old in the fact that, like, oh, I'm starting to really get it, you know. And so I have this passion in my heart. I feel like God's given me this voice that I want to teach other people and help other people to be free. And I want to share with you a conversation I had because I want to tell everybody I know about this. I had this conversation with my three-year-old granddaughter a couple years ago. This is Olive. And we were sitting in my kitchen. Isn't she so cute? (laughs) Um, We were in the kitchen. And because I've struggled with how I see myself, I don't want her to struggle. I want her to know what God thinks of her. So we're eating breakfast this morning. She lives in Colorado, but she was at my house that day. And I said to her, I said, Olive, you know what I'm doing this morning? I am imagining what it was like the day God started thinking about you. And I said, I imagine this throne room with all the angels there. And God said, today, I'm going to begin creating Olive Wilson. And I said, I can almost picture it like, this is you. And he goes, Olive Wilson. I'm going to make her that she's fun. And it's like, this is who you are. He starts pouring this into you. That she's compassionate, like tender to other people's feelings and notices when people are hurting. That she's funny. That she's kind-hearted. I'm going to give her blonde hair and blue eyes. And I'm going to put so many other things in her that when she fulfills what I made her to do, she will feel like the most freedom and the best thing she's ever experienced. And I said, and then, Olive, I can imagine that God stood up with all the angels. He said, and this will be Olive Wilson. And all the angels are like, yes! And Olive is sitting on the edge of her seat like, oh, my gosh. And I said, Olive, when God made you, we had all this in mind. And you're amazing. And the older you get, you get, you're going to see these gifts in you and these desires and your passions that God put in you. That when you live out what he made you to do, it will be like the best present you've ever received. 
And so we sat there talking about that. And later that day, we went out to breakfast. And this woman comes up to her, and she puts her hand on Olive's hair. And she said, look at your blonde, beautiful hair, honey. And Olive says, God put that on me. (laughs) Wouldn't it be cool if we were all proud of that? Like, oh, yeah, God put that on me. God put that on me. That's who I am. And when I see that, don't you think, like, if you've seen a kid, have you guys ever seen, like, a zero to a four-year-old? Is there not a freedom in there? Like, they're free. They say things. They dance. They do things. You're like, man, I wish I could be that free. But the older we get, the more reserved we get, the more we kind of limp out our identity. And so as I was thinking about Olive and I was thinking about you, the thing I said to Olive was, there has never been anyone made like you ever in the history of the world. There's not anyone now, and there will never be again someone like you. Only you can live out what God put in you. And it's an exciting journey. And that's true for all of us. And God is delighted in you. He created you. He loves you. He has a plan for you. And Jesus said, and I remember, I I think this is one of my favorite verses because he says, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. And that's John 10, 10 10b. But do you know what he said first? He said this, the thief, anyone know who the thief is that Jesus is referring to? Satan. He says the thief comes only, hear that word only. There's only one job for him. He comes only to what? Steal, what else? Kill and destroy. Think about that. Here's the thief. Here's God. He came that you might have life and have it to the full. And there's an enemy. And I, you know, some of you are thinking, wait, you guys believe in Satan? You know why I believe in Satan? Because Jesus believed in Satan. And 25% of his teaching was about the epic spiritual battle going on. And so that perks up my ears a little bit like, whoa, should I listen a little closer? Because he has a plan in all of our lives to kill, to steal, and destroy who God made you to be, your true identity. Talk about brain science. God made us, and so God knows all the brain science. And so here's the plan that Satan has. Satan hates you. Satan wants to destroy you, and Satan has a plan for you. It's kind of a scary thought, isn't it? Let me read you this quote by Priscilla Shire, who is a teacher and an author. She says this, The battles your enemy, Satan, wages against you, especially the most acute, consistent ones, possess a personality to them, an intimate knowledge of who you are and the precise pressure point where you can most easily be taken down. Random accident, lucky guess, I don't think so. These areas of greatest fear and anxiety in your life are clues to some important spiritual information. They reveal, among other things, things that a personalized strategy has been insidiously put in place to destroy your vibrancy and render you defeated. That's a powerful quote to think like, whoa, could there be a battle going on for my very life and vibrancy of living out what God created me to do? And I'm not saying that everything bad happens is Satan. I'm not saying that because we live in a broken fallen world we make dumb decisions and so I don't want to give Satan credit for things he didn't do sometimes we do really dumb things but I still think there is an epic battle going on and I in 2nd Corinthians 4 3 
Paul is writing this letter to this church in Corinth, really trying to teach them and open their eyes to what's going on. He said, and even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age, who is Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You know where the whole battle begins? He veils us right here. That's where he begins the battle. And I put in here, in many ways, our mind determines our life. What we believe affects our attitude. Our attitude determines how we live each day, and the lies we tell ourselves are what we believe about our own value, our own limitations, and our own possibilities. Those are self-imposed barriers that start right here. And, and so I want to take you through my journey of being born like this, like, ah, oh, this is who God's like, oh, Anne, wait till you see the things. And if there's an epic battle going on, let me kind of show the epic battle that went on in my life. So this picture that um, I'm going to put up, I'm six, six years old. And um, like when you look at a six-year-old, it's kind of that innocence, isn't it? Kind of that purity. And yet it was this age that um, after so much sexual abuse had happened, this is the age where I thought something must be wrong with me because it happened with another person, and I thought, it must be me. I must do something. I must be broken. And it was the first time that I remember thinking, I'm really broken and shattered. There's something wrong with me. And it was almost this vibrancy that God has. That memory and the things that happened to me started to cover up the light and the purpose that God put in me. And then I got a little older. I moved away from that place, and we moved to another place, and so all of the abuse stopped. And I, um, you know that I was a gymnast, and so I got into this. And as a 12-year-old, I was in a national meet. I'm the youngest of four. My family's super athletic. Um, my dad's a coach. My brother's a coach. Um, and so sports, if, like, you could do well in sports, it was kind of great. So I placed on the all-around um, in this national gymnastics meet, and that was a big deal in the first time for me as a 12-year-old. And so I got home. I put my, my ribbons out. I put my medals out. My dad and brother at a baseball game. I went to bed, and I said, Mom, please wake up. I, wake me up when Jim and my dad get home so I can tell them all about this display. And so I'm sleeping. They come in. They wake me up. And I said, did you see my medals and my ribbons? You guys, like I did, like, I did really well. And, and, and mind you, my dad and brother had a good heart. They were wanting to motivate me, and I get that now. But what they said to me was, Anne, we are the barons. And we are winners. Don't come home unless you have a first place. And so as a little kid, I felt like a total failure. And here I was, like, doing this thing I thought I was really good at. And suddenly I felt this incredible pressure. I felt like a failure. And I felt like if I wasn't the best, that means I am not good enough. And I got into this competition thing with everybody I went because they said, you 
need to be first at everything. You know the pressure, have you guys felt any of that, of competition? So I'm feeling this pressure, even with girls, even with sports, even with school, like I have to be the best. That like causes stress and anxiety. And I did not compliment anybody for years of my life because I thought they're my competition. Why would I compliment them? Then they might be up on me and they'll be better than me. So I would ne- I'd see saw girls as competition because of my own insecurity. So that was another thing that started to cover up. And then an- and you guys all have stories. Sometimes I know some of you are like, oh, it's the past. Who cares? Because the past affects the present. And we need to deal with the past so God can heal it in the present. And so here's another thing that happened as a 16-year-old. I'm a cheerleader at this point, and we're getting ready to have pictures taken, the cheerleading squad, for the football program. We're at my friend's house. We're all getting ready. I'm feeling super insecure as a 16-year-old. And um, when I walked in my friend's house, my friend's mom said, oh, Ann, you look so cute today. And I said, thanks. So we're getting ready. We, we leave, and I forgot something. I walked back in the house, and I could overhear my friend's sister and mom talking. And I hear the sister say to her mom, they don't know I'm in the house, why would you tell Ann Barron she's cute when she's so ugly? And her mom says, I know, but at least she tries hard. Now imagine, that's me, bottom right, imagine having that picture taken five minutes later. I just thought, I am so ugly, and people don't tell me to my face. They might say I'm cute, but inwardly they're thinking she's really ugly. And that just kind of covered up too. And so here, here you are, and, and this, is what, this is Satan's trick and strategy, is these things can happen, but then they start becoming your own dialogue. Instead of saying, oh, this happened to me and this is this, what then starts to happen is you say, I am broken. I'm a failure. I'm ugly. And this starts to become the pathway that you've created in your head and the dialogue that's now in your mouth. And this is where you go. Isn't this just sad? Because this is where a lot of us live. And so it becomes a false self. It becomes not who God created us to be. And it becomes self-hatred. And um, pretty soon, we're just covered with all these lies of I'm hopeless, I'm angry, I'm not good enough, I'm dumb. Can you imagine if we saw what we feel about each other and we wore them all over the place? Oh, yeah, hey, you're doing good today. (laughs) And I took a picture because I thought this was kind of my false identity. This is who I was. I took a picture of me looking in the mirror of all the lies that were just tagged to me. And yet, what do you think God thinks of us when we think all these things and we've created this new pathway in our brains? This is an interesting quote. It says, don't mind the cage. (laughs) Listen to this quote. The average person has 60,000 thoughts per day, according to the Cleveland Clinic. Of those thoughts, 95% repeat each day. On average, 80% of repeated thoughts are negative. Isn't that crazy? But I'm like, oh, no wonder. It becomes our self-talk. And so the question is, what do we do? And how do we get out of that? And here's what happened to me. As a result of that, I had this low, and low self-esteem. You would never know that I had a low self-esteem. 
I was successful in school. I was successful in sports. I had a lot of friends. I had this mask on, like I am so together. I am so, you know, I have nothing wrong with me. But inside, I was devastated. And that talk felt so normal, I didn't even gauge it. It was just what I said. And listen to this quote by Donna Winship. She said, self-hatred or lack of self-esteem is denying everything God created you to be and choosing to see yourself as the enemy wants you to be seen. This is actually a form of pride in that pride is not necessarily thinking a lot of yourself, but is thinking of yourself a lot. You are believing yourself more than you're believing God. Oh, that was such a killer for me. I read that and thought, that is me. That is me, and it's a form of pride. And I realized, here's the thing I realized. I realized that Jesus came to this world to set me free because we're all born in this bondage. And he's like, I came to set the prisoner free. The problem was he's like, here's what I was. I know you came to set me free, Jesus, but you know what? I really don't like who I am. And, and he's like, Ann, I've opened the door. Get out. Like, I don't have anything good to offer. I don't know what to do. And I'm telling you, this is where Satan has so many of us living. And it's time for us to get out of the cage and to pull others out of the cage. Because when you're in a cage, your head looks down. You only see yourself. You only see your flaws. You only see your problems. And God's saying, step out. And live out what I've created you to live out. <laughs> Are you guys impressed I could get in there? <laughs> Dave couldn't get in that cage. I just want you to know, my husband. <laughs> so you guys, where are you living? Are you free? Because God opened the door, but we have to step out of it. We need to tear off the false identities. We need to recognize the lies that keep going over and over in our head. Because Jesus said, get out. Get out. And here's the truth. God needs every one of us in what he's put in us, in our gifts, in our strength. You might have a handicap. You might have things that have happened to you that are beyond that anything you can do. But God wants to use even your flaws, even your hurts for his glory. I sit there and I sit there and think, if I would have let Satan have his, have his way, I would never speak to another, a person. I feel like one of my goals now is to speak life to people. Do you know when you speak to life, life to people, what that does? It lifts their heads. And you know what our job is when you have a friend that's getting back in the cage? You pull them out. And I struggle with that. I went to a meeting not too long ago. I'm in this meeting. And I'm going to give you a little illustration of, of what we can do with that. Let me give you this, this, this cage thing. Here's what we can do when we're in the cage. The C. Capture your thoughts. Capture your thoughts. And this is the verse that we're looking at that really gets to that. 2 Corinthians 10. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And listen to this part. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And so you're in here, you have this thought like, I am nobody, I am nothing. You take that thought and you capture it. Think of what the word capture means. It's like you're imprisoning the thought. Because that thought for me, that thought was like a hamster on a hamster wheel. It would just go round and round and round. I'm ugly, I'm fat, I don't know anything, I'm dumb. And, and that was just language. It was my new language. God said, 
You are a new creature in Christ. I have given you a new language. You are new. You are transformed. Now to renew your mind. And so that's the key. Take your thought captive. And have a friend that when you struggle, you say, this is what I'm struggling with. And that friend can say, that's not who you are. I see who you are. People should be running to the church because we have the language of love on our lips. And when we see each other, we call out the greatness in one another. That's the opposite of what the enemy does. The A, the A is that we admit to God the lie you're believing. You say to God, God, I'm believing this. I was in a meeting. I got in the meeting. Even though I'm free, we still go in and out. And I could see myself having this dialogue like, I don't have anything to offer in this meeting. I'm irrelevant. I'm old. And and I, I realized, like, and my head was going down, and I got more quiet. I got in the car. I, I took that thought. God, here's what I said. God, here's what I'm feeling. This is the truth, God. I, I'm admitting to you. I'm feeling like I'm old, and I don't know anything. I'm irrelevant. And then the G is you give in the lies, and you exchange it for truth. Because here's what God said to me. And I said, God, what do you want me to know? And he said, I have called you. I have given you a voice, and I have appointed you to be my spokesperson. So when I call you to speak and speak, what if I never went there? I'd still have my head down. The E, you escape to freedom and you live free. Open up to other people and tell them the things you're struggling with. Tell them what's going on. And I love that Jesus says, if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. I was at a conference with a woman, and um, she, her husband came up to me. It was a marriage conference, and her husband came up to me. She said, Ann, would you talk to my wife? She's dying. And I said, oh, what's she have? What's happening? She goes, she's anorexic, and I've got kids. We've got a family, and she is too at the end days of her life. And I said, I'm so happy to pray for her. So I go up to her. I said, hi, my name's Ann, and I hugged her, and I said, I'd love to pray for you. Here's what she does. Don't touch me. She pushes me away. And you guys, this, I, this woman was a bone. I've never seen a human being so thin. There's nothing on her body, no fat, nothing. And she, I said, no, you're not. She said, don't look at me. I'm so disgusting. Who tells her that? Satan herself lies from the past, and I grabbed her by the shoulders, and I said, I see you. There's so much beauty in you. I see the way your husband loves you and how he talks about you as a mom, and it <laughs> makes me cry thinking about it. As I said those things to her, she's we like crying. Tears are just falling down her face under her shirt, and I hugged her, and I prayed for her, and I said, And I told her all the things that I saw in her. That's what we need to do to one another. That's what we need to do in even telling people the pain we're in and what we're struggling with. When we bring our stuff out into the light, that's when God can start working. And so I want to close with, um, I'm going to read some scripture of identity, of true identity of who you are. And I want you just to let it soak over you and realize this is who you are. Because you know what that does? It creates a new pathway in your brain. 
And then I'm going to walk us through just some listening prayer as we close. Um, so let's pray. Father, it's good to know that you love us, that you have a plan for us, a purpose for us. And Lord, it's, it's good to be, remember and to be reminded there's a battle going on over us. So Lord, I want to thank you for this scripture that's true. You are filled with the peace and joy of God. I'm going to switch it to I am. I want you to feel that for yourself. I am God's beloved child. I am completely forgiven, perfectly righteous, and free from condemnation. I am God's glorious temple, and I am filled with his fullness. I am a saint, holy and blameless. I am the recipient of an eternal, infinitely rich inheritance. I am inseparable from God's love and will never be abandoned. The Lord rejoices over me with singing. So, Father, those things are so true. And, Lord, we would like to hear your voice, to see you, to experience you, to know you. And so, Lord Jesus, I ask that right now you begin to speak to us and that in the name of Jesus, you would cast out all lies or condemnation or Satan's past and lies that he speaks to us now. And we ask that we would only hear from you. And I'm going to take you on this journey in your mind. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to envision yourself walking. One of your favorite places, maybe it's a beach, maybe it's a mountain or a field. I want you to see yourself walking. And I want you to feel the sun on your face and maybe a wind on your cheek. And ahead of you, you see Jesus. What's that feel to, like to see him? And he's motioning for you to come. He's smiling. He wants you to come to him. And you get right before him. And what do you do when you see him? He takes you by the shoulders. And he's so glad to see you because he loves you. And now I want you to take all the things, the lies that you've carried and the things that you've carried or things that have been done to you, or things that have just been heavy, and I want you to put those in your hands. I want you to see it like it's all in your hands. Even throw in like past pain or current pain. Hold them in front of you. And I want you to now envision handing them over to Jesus. What's he do with it? And now drop your hands because they're empty. And now he takes you again by the shoulders and he lifts your chin and he looks at you. <laughs> What's he want you to know? What's he want you to feel? Who's he call you? Father, thank you that you've made us and our brains in a way that we can visualize and go places in our minds that can heal us. And Father, I thank you that you call us dearly loved sons and daughters. We need you. We love you. I pray, God, that you would restore us to our true identity and to become the people that you've created us to be. And nothing would stop that. Nothing would hinder it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.